0: Dueling Genre Productions presents...
1: Oh my God, do you see that?
0: When a freak accident strikes McKinney City, ordinary citizens are given amazing abilities.
2: I can move things with my mind.
0: Oh my God, I'm flying. I can fly. I can teleport and I can fly.
2: Super senses.
0: What, like Daredevil? We are just playing fast and loose with this whole science thing today, aren't we? Now, there are villains. Billy, when you have an arch nemesis, do you just kill them immediately. No! You tie the ropes just loose enough so that they can keep escaping. That way, when you finally do win the day, you can sleep well knowing that you rose to the challenge. Your brain works differently than other people's, doesn't it? And heroes.
1: Gwendolyn Allen, Jeffrey Gibson, Mindy Gibson, Simon Holt, Splendid, you're all here! I'm going
2: to make you all into superheroes!
0: Screw it. Let's go save the day. The Powerful.
1: After I drain everyone here, McKinney City will be mine.
0: I'm going to show this whole city
1: what real passion truly is.
0: And the underdogs.
2: You're all imagining me as a singing, dancing chipmunk right now, aren't you? The people in that store need help, and we can help them in a way no one else can. We have great power, which means there are our responsibility. I mean, Jesus, what's the point of having five freaking Spider-Man movies if we can't even learn to do that?
0: Geek by Night, an original podcast series about five friends running a comic book store with superpowers.
1: You're really going to keep running a comic book shop while trying to be
2: superheroes? It might not always be easy, but I think the world could use a few more underdogs.
0: Available at DuelingGenre.com and podcast apps everywhere.
1: Dueling Genre. everyone, and welcome to The Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski. And I'm Todd Mack. And this week we're discussing Dave from the radio show
2: Vinyl Cafe. How are you, Joe? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Todd? I am hanging in there. I had my first basketball practice today. I'm coaching my son's fifth and sixth grade basketball team, and there are 18 players. <laughs> And I got the job today and we had our first practice today and our first game is tomorrow. And um, have, you, have you chosen your varsity five? It is a challenge. Well, everybody has to has to play the same amount in every game. And I still don't know how I'm gonna work it out exactly, but um but I'll figure it out by five PM tomorrow. So You know,
1: Todd, I think you're living the life of a children's sports movie right now. <laughs> I totally am
2: Oh, my gosh. It was such a hard practice. <laughs> I did not have a well, plan. Everyone was complaining. They're like, I didn't even hardly get to play today. And I said, nobody got to play. There's 18 players. <laughs> you scrimmage for 20 minutes. And I mean, it's. If you if you had 15, you could at
1: least yell line change and have five on, five off.
2: I know. Well, we're going to. I mean, I feel like I'm going to have to do something like that. But my goodness, it's a it's a challenge, but it's going to be really fun. I'm I'm actually excited about it, but. Today was, it was a little, it was it was a little tricky.
1: Well, at least fortunately, right now we have a very pleasant story to talk about. We are talking about Vinyl Cafe, which was a radio variety show that was hosted by Stuart McLean, and it ran from 1994 to 2015. And one of the most popular segments involved Stuart McLean reading stories about a man named Dave, his wife Morley, and their family. In total, there were over 400 episodes of Vinyl Cafe wow. produced, and Dave and Morley's stories are what the show is most remembered for. And this was a request from patron Megan. And I would like to say thanks to patron Megan for recommending this. I have wanted us to tackle a kind of radio drama. Um, it, it, I think from the very, very beginning, it was one like, oh, we'll need to do a radio play at some point. Mm-hmm. And this is not a fully produced with a full cast radio play. This is a one-man reading. Um, sort reading of a story.
2: It's sort of a um, Prairie Home Companion yeah thing. your description made me think of that mm-hmm.
1: uh yeah so it's just one man reading it's not like you got a whole cast and the you know the shaking metal for lightning sound effects from old <laughs> old time radio or anything like that but it was very pleasant to listen to i really enjoyed uh listening to vinyl cafe I
2: so and it keeps us up on our uh, on our quota for canadian shows
1: Yes. When, uh, Patron Megan requested this, she said this was part of her CanCon scheme. And I said, I'm not familiar with CanCon. And it's a law, she's explained that, uh, Canadian broadcasters have to broadcast a certain percentage of Canadian produced material, um, in order to maintain their licenses. Cause otherwise I, I would imagine American popular culture is what would just sweep over many of their airwaves. Cause think, we're, I- we, we are, um not shy about exporting our entertainment.
0: America's number 1 <laughs> export is its own culture. Yes. That's uh, you know um I think a lot of countries have some sort of law along those lines mm-hmm. um especially English speaking countries. I know Canada and Australia um, yeah. have have some element of this in place so that they can get work for entertainers in their yes. own countries.
1: And uh regarding our percentage this is our 154th episode and I believe Life of Pi sweetness at the bottom of the pie quarter gas and now this one are our, our canadian uh material that we've covered anything i'm missing that you guys can think of i
2: don't think so uh and well i That's after a we did gas. record i mean those are all really really great <laughs> stories <laughs> yeah those are some of my
1: favorites that we've covered yeah i agree and and uh, when we did Corner Gas, I think in the comments on our Facebook page, uh, Megan had suggested that we do another Canadian show called Little Mosque on the on the Prairie that I've put into our schedule for for future. And that was before she became a patron and asked us to do Vinyl Cafe. So there'll be another Canadian show coming coming your way, Megan. So, Todd, I'm assuming you came to this because it was on our schedule yes. and a patron requested it. Yep, yep. <laughs> I, when I was listening to it, I had a vague memory of hearing this not this story but like that voice telling a story like this and when i was looking up trivia it did say that vinyl cafe was licensed to over 80 us radio stations mm-hmm. during its run so it's possible i stumbled upon this while <laughs> turning the uh the dial on my radio at some point um like his voice just sounded familiar to me
2: yeah i, I, I don't know I, it it sounds so similar i mean it's so similar in tone to Prairie Home Companion to me that I, I feel like they could be easily confused if you weren't you weren't really paying attention to what you were listening to. That's true. And I am not super familiar with Prairie Home Companion. So. There was a time when I was first in the podcast that I listened to it uh, a fair amount. It's pretty good. All right.
1: All right, well, some other trivia that I came across in um, looking into Vinyl Cafe. As I noted, it's an hour-long variety show that ran from 94 to 2015, and it featured essays and fiction that was written by Stuart McLean, as well as Canadian music acts, and you can easily access a lot of the stories and essays uh, that were read as podcasts or on various websites um it wasn't hard to come across this show once i started looking for it um and a lot of those uh the stories in particular have been released as podcasts the musical acts um are often not included though because of copyright issues and McLean independently produced the show and sold it to the canadian broadcasting company and it was also syndicated into the united states And many of the Dave and Morley stories have been collected in short story collections and as CDs, podcasts, and other audio forums. They are very popular, it seems. And just in case anyone listening is wondering about the wife's name, because I wasn't quite catching it when I was listening at first. (laughs) It is Morley, M-O-R-L-E-Y is Dave's wife's name. And Vinyl Cafe ended in 2015 when Stuart McLean was diagnosed with melanoma and he passed away in 2017. All right. Well, uh, in particular, the two episodes we're going to be listening to are uh, Christmas-themed, turkey-themed episodes. So this is a great episode, at least for American listeners, to drop in right after Thanksgiving. Yes. (laughs) And as we head into the holiday season, though it sure seems like the holiday season took an early start this year. (laughs) as soon as as soon as uh the night was done on halloween i was seeing some some christmas commercials on tv
2: yeah but i i don't know i kind of i feel like i'm i feel like i'm still okay like i don't feel like it's I... being really pressed upon me maybe that's because i live in the middle of nowhere and i only go to walmart like once every two weeks and that's the only store i ever go to so (laughs) (laughs) and everything else i see is just always the same it's just uh lakes and farms and and they don't have part of me decorations yet (laughs) part of me wants to say
1: keep it special just to december but the other part of me wants to say it is the greatest time of the year (laughs) the holiday season uh so so let it roll on i have a desire
0: for my personal life now that i'm like an adult with my own family and building our own traditions, I kind of have a desire to amalgamate a Thanksgiving Christmas holiday season so that we can have all the Christmas stuff and still like make sure that Thanksgiving is its own thing, but still be playing Christmas music the whole time (laughs) and just say, it's like, no, it's, it's okay. It's the whole season and there's two big days
2: in it. I know my opinion probably Uh, means nothing to you, but I, I totally would sign off on that for you. Just go, just do it. (laughs) It's okay. Do whatever your family wants.
0: yeah,
1: It's your family. Run with it. Before we go on to Todd's summary of the two episodes we're talking about today, we want to thank our listeners for listening each and every week. And we also want to thank those of you who are supporting us on Patreon. If you would like to support us on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash protagonists and support our show with at least a $1 per month donation. Though there is no upper limit on that monthly total. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes. In which we break down newly released films and trailers, and all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss, such as this topic of Vinyl Cafe, which is just uh, a topic we would not have gotten to probably naturally by ourselves. So I'm really glad that uh, a patron recommended it to us so that we could discover it.
2: I feel like I should say one thing in defense of rural Michigan it is stunningly beautiful out here right now. I mean, when I drive my kids to school every morning, I think, wow, this place is really, really beautiful. So um, not lots of Christmas decorations right now, but wow, what a fall. I uh, Michi-
1: I love Michigan. I lived in Michigan for years. It's where I met my wife, and it is one of my favorite states. So I, f- I agree and concur with your statement that it is a beautiful state.
2: Yeah. Okay, so if you find this online, you may hear first the story that's called Turkeys Are Terrific, and then the second story would be Dave Cooks the Turkey, but because – Uh, They were originally recorded in the opposite order. So Dave Cooks the Turkey comes first, and then turkeys are terrific. Uh, So I'm reading these in the order that they were recorded, not necessarily the order that you will hear them if you follow the link, for example, uh, in our show notes. So here we go. Dave Cooks the Turkey. So at the beginning of the story, uh, a man named Carl buys a book called The Complete Christmas Planner for his wife, Gerda. And then she begins a neighborhood Christmas planning club that meets throughout the year to get everything ready for the following Christmas. And Dave's wife, Morley, is in the group. And they meet each month to work on something new. One month, it's homemade wrapping paper. Another, it's stenciling. In September, they make rubber stamps out of uh, pencil erasers. Uh, and Dave and Morley's, home, Dave's and, and Morley's home is filled with Christmas crafts. Then one day, Morley informs Dave that they only have only 67 shopping days until Christmas. Uh, Dave cracks wise about this, uh, since they've only ever done their shopping (laughs) the week before the big day, and Marley blows up on him. She tells him that she feels like her life is like a train, and she is the train, the porter, the conductor, and everyone else that works on the train. She asks Dave if he knows where the train is going. Nervous about answering it correctly, Dave remains silent. Morley tells him that the train starts on the first day of school and is headed for Christmas dinner, after which the train will turn around and hit every single stop on its way back to the end of school. Then Morley asks Dave if he knows who he is on the train. He wants to think he's the conductor or some kind of important engineer, but again, he keeps quiet, and Morley tells him, you're the guy in the bar car asking for another drink. Morley tells him she wants Christmas to be fun again and that she wants to feel some control. So now Dave realizes that he needs to step up. He needs to join the crew. So he asks what he can do to help. He goes shopping for her. uh, And then she asks if he will take care of the turkey on Christmas Day uh, so that she can take the kids to the food bank to do some service. Uh, The weeks pass and Christmas Eve arrives. And as they tuck into bed, Morley asks Dave if he thawed the turkey, at which point Dave realizes that he never actually bought a turkey. So at 4 a.m. he climbs out of bed in his pajamas and heads to the 24-hour supermarket to buy a turkey, which is frozen tight like a bowling ball. He uses an electric blanket and a hair dryer to thaw it out all through the night. At which point he realizes that this turkey looks like it tried to escape from a slaughterhouse and was caught and beaten to death. The next day, <laughs> I like. He says he went
1: down to thaw the turkey armed with an electric blanket, a blow dryer, and some yeah. scotch. <laughs>
2: So the next day, Morley tries to give Dave some instructions, but he tells her, Don't worry, I've got everything under control. So she leaves to take the kids to the food bank. But before uh, she leaves, she rubs pine oil onto the light bulbs in the house so that they will heat and the oil, they'll heat the oil and make the house smell like a forest. After she is gone, Dave realizes that he doesn't know how to work the oven and there is nowhere for him to bake the turkey. And then he has what he calls his best idea. He calls a fancy hotel and asks if he has a special dietary restriction. Could they cook some food that he brings with him? Uh, By now, he's getting quite tipsy because he's been nursing this bottle of scotch, but he grabs the now-thawed bird, hails a taxi, and heads downtown. When he gets to the hotel, the receptionist asks about his suitcases, to which Dave responds with a slur, I'm just checking in for the afternoon with my chick. Just then, he turns around and sees his neighbor, Jim Schofield. Uh, Dave tries to explain, but Jim seems a bit incredulous. Uh, Jim then checks into a room and he asks room service if they will bake his turkey in one of their
1: Dave, Dave,
2: Dave. Oh, sorry. Dave, my goodness. Uh, Dave, he, uh, checks into a room and asks room service if they will bake his turkey in one of their super convection ovens. Uh, the manager hesitates, but finally gives in when Dave convinces him that this is a turkey that he himself raised at home on only tofu and yogurt. Uh, Soon, the turkey is baked, and Dave races home with it. When he gets home, he realizes the house still smells like pine, so he takes some of the gravy and rubs it on the lamps so that Morley will think that he was actually cooking in the house. Uh, Just then, Morley shows up, and along with her is Jim Schofield uh, and his mother. As they wait in the living room, the warmed-up gravy begins to drip onto Jim's forehead, at which point Dave says, Morley, there's something I should tell you. The end. Uh, So that's uh, story number one. Story number two is called Turkeys Are Terrific. So Dave and Morley have uh, two kids, Sam and I think the girl's name is Stephanie. Um, she doesn't really figure into this story. Sam does. So every year, Dave, uh, this is many years later, uh, Dave is in charge of cooking the Christmas turkey. It's a tradition that started the year that Dave spent the entire night defrosting a turkey. And now every year he tries to cre- recreate the excitement of that first, of that first turkey. Uh, the thing about the traditions we find out is that we have an impulse to continue them and an urge to pass them on. Dave wants to share his, his turkey tradition with his son, Sam. Uh, He wants to teach Sam to work like he had learned to work when he was a kid on old man Macaulay's farm. So Dave orders, he decides, uh, that he's going to order a live turkey. So he orders a bourbon red turkey off the internet. It arrives in a crate on a UPS truck. And it's a little baby, and Sam is super excited. Uh, but Dave reminds him this is not a pet. They decide to keep the crate in the garage. And Dave tells Sam that they'll keep it a secret because, you know, women like surprises like this. <laughs> uh, w- one day, Sam goes out to the garage to feed the turkey, and it flies out of the of the crate and into the rafters. And Dave puts up a ladder to try to catch the bird, but it poops on him. And Dave decides to let him have uh, free reign of the garage since he's getting big. And Dave doesn't want to get uh, pooped on again. So they decide to name the turkey Trouble. Uh, Morley knows nothing about the bird until one day she goes into the garage and smells the smell and hears something stirring around. So she calls an exterminator who comes and informs her that she has a turkey living in her garage. Uh, When Dave gets home, he's in big, big trouble. Uh, That night, their dog, Arthur, (laughs) wakes up and runs to the window. And Dave looks out and sees two raccoons, some cats, and a German shepherd surrounding their garage. Uh, Dave tries to scare them off, uh, but inadvertently lets the turkey out, and trouble immediately flies into a tree in the yard of Mary Turlington, who is Dave's neighborhood nemesis. And while Dave is up in, the, in, in, in this apple tree, in Mary's apple tree, with an umbrella in one hand and a stick in the other, uh, Mary wakes up and calls the police. Uh, trouble flies back to the garage, but the police catch Dave still trying to get down out of the tree. And the cop asks, you're not looking for trouble, are you?
1: <laughs> that joke was such a long when... <laughs> walk to get that joke. And it was so worth it.
2: <laughs> so good. It was so worth it. Uh, when Dave gets back to the house, it's locked. And he spends the rest of the night in the garage. Later, he decides that he's going to put his dog, Arthur, in the garage sort of as a, as a guard dog. And Arthur and Trouble become fast friends, and they snuggle together each night. Winter finally comes, and and the bird gets very big. And then one day, as Sam and Dave are getting ready to to take Arthur for a walk, Arthur goes over to the garage, and it seems like he's insisting that Trouble come with them. So they put a little collar and a leash on on Trouble, the turkey, and they take him for the walk uh with the dog and despite it being very late they inevitably they inevitably run into mary turlington (laughs) and then trouble flies straight into a tree and poops on her as uh christmas nears dave starts to have second thoughts about having trouble slaughtered he can't go through with it so he takes the bird to a petting zoo and then when he tells uh but then later he tells morley that he feels bad because he wasn't like old man macaulay and morley morley tells him that's okay Uh, But he'll have to be in charge of the the turkey for Christmas dinner, you know, regardless. It's Christmas Eve, and as they climb into bed, Morley asks him if everything is ready. And then Dave realizes that he never actually bought a frozen turkey. So he climbs out of bed in his jammies, (laughs) and he goes out in the cold to find a 24-hour store where he can buy a bird. And when he gets back, Sam, his son, is waiting on the front steps in his Spider-Man pajamas and a parka. And Dave asks what he's doing. And Sam asks if he can help with the turkey, telling his father, a man's got to do what a man's got to do. And as they get out the hair dryer, Sam asks if they will be up all night, to which Dave responds, probably, it's sort of a tradition.
1: The end. Oh, great summaries, Todd. Thank you. for. I really yeah, like these the stories. The first thing I want to say is like, the, it was just so pleasant
2: to turn this on and hear this man narrate these two stories. I, I I made myself a little mug of hot chocolate and uh and I sat down at the kitchen table and put in my headphones and I just sipped my hot chocolate and listened to this guy and kind of did I wasn't like totally belly laughing, but I was just doing like the quiet I'm laughing I'm laughing to yeah. myself and it was it was just it was really great. It's a perfect kind of fall. Uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas. Eve Perhaps you've too.
1: created your own tradition, Todd. <laughs> a little, a little hot chocolate, little <laughs> final I cafe have. for the holiday season.
2: Yes. I, I has a question. I
0: feel like when people reminisce about old time radio and like the family listening to radio shows in the evenings, mm-hmm. what you've just described encapsulates what that description is supposed to. Um, evoke when people talk about say yeah and we used to gather around the radio I feel like a lot of times it doesn't evoke that but what you've just described I think is what people are supposed to feel when someone describes gathering around the radio as a family
2: the only thing that was missing is like a crackling fire in the fireplace but we don't have a fireplace so <laughs> what can you do <laughs> I mean, I could have yeah, put like, a, Netflix, like a open yule, up a uh, uh, Ron Ron the, the, Swanson <laughs> yule log on YouTube. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> yeah, I could have done that. Um, I didn't, or, uh, I didn't go down is, that road. Also,
1: for the holiday season, listeners, if you're looking for one of those yule log videos, there is a 12 hours of Darth Vader burning looped <laughs>
2: <laughs> for your for your holiday background at the party. Yes um yeah the the tone of this is really great um it it really does it just feels like comfort and he really is
1: a good storyteller and there are those moments like that joke about the cop saying are you looking for trouble where you don't realize you've been set up for this joke until, <laughs> like, as the cop is about to say, you're like, "Oh, I yeah. see the joke that's coming," and you can't help but laugh
0: a little. Is is this um, performed with really? an audience?
1: Yes, and there was okay. one of my Cause, favorite because that can make a difference for jokes like that, especially. Yes, yeah, it landed really well. Like, it, it, and sometimes having that studio audience like goosing you along makes you enjoy the humor even more. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite interaction with the studio audience is he started reading um, about Dave ordering the live turkey, and he said it wasn't going to be one of those. You know, uh, chemically enhanced turkeys that can't even fly anymore. This was going to be a, a real turkey that can fly. And the audience started to laugh and he just paused and said, don't get ahead of the jokes <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As soon as you say the turkey can fly, you anticipate there's going to be some trouble with the turkey flying. Yes. That it was it was awesome. So what do you think about Dave? I, I would say this to Andrew. I enjoyed this so much. But as I was driving here, I was thinking, like, where's the meat on the bone for us to really dig in <laughs> and have uh, mm-hmm. a thoughtful discussion about the story? Like, one hundred percent recommend it. And I, I, one of the things that I came up with, though, on the one hand, it's like nah, it's it leans into some stereotypes of the idiot husband. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: At the same time, he, you know, it's an idiot husband who sometimes in in sitcoms and and um these kinds of stories where you've got the domestic comedy situation you have the overburdened and overbearing housewife and the idiot husband who just doesn't care he does care (laughs) not as much about planning christmas for the entire year but he does care and like when he sees uh that she's trying to get this done and he's like mentally he says usually we start our shopping like with five days to go (laughs) and she's like we've got 67 days to go but he, he says to himself he's like maybe the way we've always done it isn't what my wife needs right now. And he steps up and he tries to do his best. He's just a little bit incompetent right. at doing the best at doing his best, which is needed for comedy.
2: I think it's needed for comedy. And I, I also, it, it kind of reminded me of the conversation that we had about stranger things. When we were talking about Hopper and his relationship with 11 and how it's not always, he's not always a perfect father figure. Listeners, to her, if you're wondering, we're you talking about tell- stranger
1: things season two, which we've released as a quick cast. Uh, it's not in the main game. Yes.
2: Oh, that was as, that yes. was only as a quick cast.
1: Teaser for you, the yeah. quick
2: cast. <laughs> well, should I? <laughs> Teaser for the quick cast. But it's this idea that um, he he's not a perfect father, but he's really trying hard to be a good dad. And and I felt like that with Dave. That um, yes, he's not perfect, and yes, he is kind of uh, bumbling at some points. But I feel like he's really trying. And and the humor. Is not because he's totally incompetent. It's just because, because he's he's tried something that's. I mean, that's really a hard thing to do. And there, I mean, there are funny like when he tells his son, um, you know, women like surprises like this, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you know,
2: <laughs> especially when they especially when they involve livestock <laughs> or something. And um, I mean, there, are, it's funny. It, it's supposed to be kind of funny and lighthearted, but I like the fact that he's mm-hmm. trying i like the fact that he's trying to do something and have a tradition with his son that he's trying to teach his son something that he learned when he was younger and there's really no opportunity for his son to learn the things in the way that he learned them when he was young and this is this is a challenge of every father i think and every mother is you're trying to teach your kids things that you learned that were important when you were young but the context has changed and so you have to find new ways to teach your kid something that that you don't want to be lost. And I think it's really, I think it's a really big challenge. And it's part of the sweetness of the story is this dad trying to do that. And in the end, it turns out he taught his son what was the important thing, which is you step up to bat for your family when mm-hmm. when you need it. And that might be, you know, if it, everything goes well, you might be able to get a turkey and raise it and, and have your own home raised uh, turkey. And if not, then you'll wake up in the middle of the night and you'll go to Walmart and you'll get a, I mean, I don't know if Walmart even exists in Canada, <laughs> but <laughs> you'll go to the 24 hour supermarket and you'll get a Turkey and you'll thaw it out and you'll do what you can to, to be part of the crew. And I and like I that. I think
1: there's that important change from um, the bubbling, bumbling, idiotic husband stereotype that we see in a lot of sitcoms that starts to bother me is that often their motivation is selfish and it's like avoiding family and avoiding work. And Um, Yeah, trusting that you know the long-suffering wife will just take care of it, Uh, and this, like he said, he's putting in an effort. He's still bumbling, and you, a lot of comedy gets milked out of that of his best plans going awry, Um, but the motivation isn't. What's the least I can do right now? And I, I, for a while in the, I want to say like 80s and 90s, that became like the domestic sitcom go-to father figure was like, how can I get out of whatever I've been asked right. to do? Because I just want to be left alone. <laughs> and I don't get that from Dave. And so I think you can still have the comedy there. Just tweak the motivation a lot. And it's a lot more pleasant of a story to consume.
2: Far more pleasant. Um, I, I mean, can I contrast this with uh, like Frank mm-hmm. Barone in the, we talked about uh, Marie Barone and he's just constantly belittling his wife and she's working so hard and he's always sitting on the couch watching TV and making horrible disparaging comments. <laughs> and this is nothing like that. This guy is really trying. And I think one of the most interesting things to me is this this exchange that they have about the train. And she says, you know, I feel like my life is a train and I'm the train and I'm the conductor and I'm all of this stuff. And I feel like... um. I mean I I haven't listened to all 400 episodes of Vinyl Cafe. All I get is what I what we have from these two episodes. But he doesn't seem like he's the guy in the in the bar car asking for another drink. Mm-hmm. And I don't, that doesn't seem like a totally fair thing for her to say to him. Although at, at and even as I say that, I recognize that that's how life feels. I and mean, that, that's how life feels for a lot of people when you're trying really hard. It it, it feels like that and and to Dave's credit, he doesn't get all defensive and say, no, I'm not the guy in the, I'm not I'm the guy in the train car. I work really hard. He just says, okay, my wife needs help. It's obvious that she doesn't feel like I'm doing uh, my part. And she's trying really hard to do this thing that in my mind is kind of ridiculous, <laughs> but it matters to her. And so I'm going to make it matter to me and I'm going to step up. And I think that that's admirable in him.
1: And I think it's um, an important acknowledgement about marriage where yes, you're a team and you're raising a family and you're doing your best to do this together. But a lot of the time you're going to be apart and you're going to be tackling different tasks. And I think it's possible to feel isolated and alone, even though you're both working towards the same goal of raising a happy family. <laughs> um, as as the tasks yeah. get meted out differently, uh, you're, you're going to be doing – different tasks at different times. And you can feel overwhelmed by those tasks, even as your partner is overwhelmed by the tasks that they're doing over there. And when you meet up, sometimes you can both be frustrated and overwhelmed and arguments that only be had can be had in that moment. And I, I agree with what you said, like Dave, by just saying fair enough, <laughs> what can I do to help out that avoids one of those <laughs> classic sitcom style arguments. And also one of those real life arguments that can happen with spouses.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I really like this Dave guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, just, I, I feel like he's trying so hard. It's kind of like what we talked about, um, with vision, and just the earnestness. Like, I really, I'm really gonna, I'm really gonna try. And if it doesn't work out, I mean, he goes to extraordinary lengths <laughs> to try to get this turkey, <laughs> to try to get the turkey baked. He's tipping and going so to, not the, only does he get to the, the room, but like the he's he's
1: tipping the bellhop every time because he knows his requests are ridiculous. <laughs> Here's another twenty for you. Good yeah.
2: Too. Yeah, I just uh, I really like him, and I don't feel like it falls into completely into that stereotype of um, the the idiot dad who is a, a total freeloader. Yeah,
1: and I and I think it's it's important to like recognize where some of those sort of tropes are coming from, but this demonstrates you can tweak a few things and still have a lot of the success. The yeah, of of a story that has some natural conflict within it that has comedy that has um things going wrong and you know almost to a farcical level at times uh but if the characters like each other and are doing things motivated out of love like you want to spend more time with them
2: yeah uh uh, and i just i I like watching him work with his Mm -hmm. son and try and i I don't know maybe because you know i'm my kids are getting to the age now where they can actually, we can do stuff together. We built a bed the other day and Kimball worked with me the whole day uh, on this loft bed that we built and it was awesome and our left bed is not perfect but when I look at it, I mean every time I see it, I remember just spending time with him and doing this thing and it's not like Elvis, elvish craftsmanship. <laughs> you would not see this bed in, uh, in Rivendell but i'm pretty proud of it even though it's not perfect because i did it you know trying to be a good dad and and i there's some i feel kind of some some kinship with with dave and trying to work with sam and teach him important things
1: that's where i wanted to circle back to actually was this idea of the tradition and passing it on uh but as you said like context can change so much like what is the value of tradition and i think i think tradition and nostalgia are really interesting um thing you know relationships that we develop with certain actions and certain times of the year and certain media and in a way i thought there's this wonderful thing that happened as i was listening to this that i started feeling nostalgic for (laughs) for the kind of story Mm -hmm. like listening to this kind of story even though i've never listened to vinyl cafe uh like it just instantly felt right to to be listening to Mm -hmm. uh read it but Tradition itself is, I think, just such a fascinating part of our culture. It's when, when I talk to my students about logical fallacies. One we always touch on is the logical fallacy of tradition, which is right. we need to keep doing the thing we've always been doing because we've always been doing it. And I, and the logical fallacy is like, no, that's not the reason why you should continue doing this thing. What is the reason that this has always been done? Like, what? Why is this the right way to be doing it? And that's where you make the argument that we need to continue doing this because. Here's the here's the right way you know to do it, but just oh. to just use the reason that it's what we've always done, that is in and of itself a logical fallacy. But at the same time, there are these traditions that I think most families have around certain times of the year, particularly the holidays, that start to have added meaning just by going through those actions. And nostalgia can become like one of those reasons. Like it feels right to do it this way, and like you said, looking at the bed that you built with your son, like there's an emotional weight that comes from looking at that that would be different from a store-bought bed or you know something that didn't have any tradition or any experience rooted within it. And so I I I think tradition is just a very tangled, messy thing, right? Where uh uh, on the one hand, well what are the real reasons for doing it? But on the other, well, just the emotions that get tied up in traditions can become a reason for doing it. And
2: Right. I mean I, I I think at some point I mean you have to be able to do both of those things, right? On the one hand you constantly have to look at your traditions. And this is something that uh, I've noticed, like, as my parents get older and and the family gets older, you you have to look at your traditions and you have to make some changes because you can't do the same things when you're in your 60s that you did when you were in your 30s, right? Because <laughs> your kids are way older and they're going to have their own kids. And there's a numbers and, game that you still and to lose. And you have to. Yes.
1: <laughs> right. <Family's> grow. <laughs>
2: Right, and so you have, to, you have to be able to look at it and say, okay, um, it's okay to you know, let this go. But at the same time, uh, I don't think that you can discount that emotional weight that you talked about. And that sometimes, sometimes the reason why you do it is because that's the way that you, that's mm-hmm. the way that you do it. And to have, to have those traditions, I think matters. And just because it doesn't always make logical sense doesn't mean that you just stop doing it. But there's, that there's value in doing things consistently um, as a family and as a community and, I mean, maybe even as a nation uh, or as humans. That <laughs> uh, that there's value in, in the things that we do consistently together, uh, whether or not they always make complete sense. You shouldn't just throw them out just because. And I
1: like the end of this story that um, he was trying to make one tradition with his son and he ended up making another. <laughs>
2: we ended up continuing yes, together, continuing right? this
1: other tradition of kind of messing up the turkey but still we're going to do our best to get it right producer Andrew wants to jump in so it took me a while
0: to realize but i think you you're you're discussing tradition and and you're trying to come up with like the thesis statement for its value as well as the fact that it it is um it is a problem in some cases and i know you're not discussing fiddler on the roof right now <laughs> but I feel I, like if I'm you, thinking if about you just, Fiddler on the Roof. Absolutely. If you just choose to, it's like, let's take that song and engage with it, I think you can get to the crux of of your dis,
2: of your discussion about tradition much more quickly. I love, I love Fiddler on the Roof. We've got All to talk right, about on it on at some point
1: <laughs> for us to get to. Yeah.
2: it's an amazing show that brings up a lot of these same these same. I mean, ideas, its entire opening number value is, is about tradition oh, yeah, and what is the value tradition, of tradition
1: tradition
0: while the entire story is about change uh, yeah the the dissolving of the ability to have these traditions Mm -hmm. and what Mm -hmm. can you keep as you transition
1: well and i think like getting at this this story is being told at a really interesting like um that first christmas story of him messing up was i want to say 94 is that when it said it was recorded todd or 96? Uh, 96,
2: 96 96 and the
1: second one was recorded in do you remember 2015 yeah I, I just feel There's like much the rapidity with which the social context is going to cause the dissolution of some traditions and the necessity of creating other traditions it just seems like it's going faster and faster because routines are changing and like means of communication and travel and all uh-huh. these other things are changing so quickly that what was done 10 15 years ago doesn't need to be done the same way anymore and in some cases can't be done <laughs> the same way anymore yeah. uh, as the way that we go through our daily lives has evolved so quickly. And I'm sure will continue to evolve and change. Um, and I think in, in a way, I don't, I don't think this, this story is making any grand thematic statement on this, but in a way that idea that we'll do your best to make a tradition and whatever comes of it, that can still be something for you and your family.
2: Um, that- I mean, as long as you're together and you're doing something meaningful, that, I'm. that's the tradition. And, I I struggle with this also because I mean when I was a kid my my parents decided to move to a house with a with a with an orchard so that I would learn how to work and I learned how to work and every year we had to prune the trees and we had to pick the cherries and we'd take them out to the corner and sell them on the I mean we just sit on the street corner with no adults watching us and we would stop we would purposely try to stop strangers in their cars <laughs> and get them to get, give us money uh, for cherries. And, um, and now I see because we live in a rural area that there are people that live on farms and they have, and I have um, siblings and, and cousins who have decided to live that lifestyle again and, and buy a farm and buy animals. And there's a part of me that feels guilty. Like, oh, I'm such a bad dad because I'm not teaching my kids these really important values because We don't live on a farm because that's the only place you can do it. Because that's how I did it when I was a kid. And that's how all these other people that I really respect are doing it. And I constantly have to fight that and say, no, you don't have to live on a farm, but there still are certain values that you're going to want to teach your kids. And how can I do that in the context that I'm in now uh, and not constantly feel like I have to go out and buy a bunch of chickens, Which, (laughs) which for me is like a real or a, a mail turkey. order a
1: live turkey <laughs>
2: <laughs> your mail order a live turkey which uh, i mean in my case is actually is a literal mental battle that i go through every once in a while where i think maybe i should go buy some chickens <laughs> or a goat or like maybe we should you know maybe we should go live on a farm because because that's how i learned how to do a lot of if stuff. you ever
1: find yourself and with a herd of alpacas and you need to name some. I've always dreamt of naming alpacas. <laughs> I don't want to own them. I just want to christen.
2: You just want to christen
1: Yeah. Them. I need do, to see do, some photos. Do I, have, like, I don't have names I'm in mind. Like, no, I do a, not have names in mind. Chuck mine. a
2: bottle of wine yeah. at them uh, as you christen yeah.
1: them. <laughs> I don't have any names in mind. I just want to look at some photos of some young alpacas that are in need of names. And find out what name they need. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: originate, Joseph?
1: I don't know. I just feel like it might be a calling of mine. Just, just, just to so, focus. <laughs> Sometimes you just you, you okay. know that there's things that <laughs> I could do this. You, yeah, you have inherent panache for. You
2: have a certain set of skills. Yeah,
1: I, I could do this. I don't want to say I could do it better than everyone, but I feel like I could do it better than a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I've um, never done it I just okay, have this well, if I <laughs> ever cave
2: if I ever cave to the to the to the voice inside of me that says you need to go buy some livestock, I'll put alpacas as high on the list as I possibly can, and when we get to them, I'll call you and let you name at least one of my alpacas
1: okay um, and uh j- alp- just know listeners, this would happen as a quick cast <laughs> <laughs> um so you have to support us on Patreon if you want to know
0: the names of my of my future alpacas. With the discussion of traditions and, and how they develop, how they um, coalesce into things, Joseph, I'm inviting you to discuss a particular family tradition that we have regarding Thanksgiving.
1: Oh, like, uh, it was, I don't even remember what year this was. It was, it was, just, it was, just, it was just, some time ago. Yeah, some time ago. We got together at Thanksgiving dinner. Like like we were all kids in the house. Yeah, yeah. Like all my oldest sibling was still living in the house, and we looked over, and there was everything you could want at a Thanksgiving dinner. There was delicious turkey. There was stuffing. There was gravy. There was mashed potatoes, there was cranberry yeah. ju- cranberry sauce that you're not going to touch because it still yeah, looks like a can. And yeah, you need that on the table though.
2: Oh, that's yeah, well, good. You I like that to, stuff. To
1: look, but. Todd, I've got a recipe for better cranberry sauce someday. I'll share that with you. Like the homemade, it's got pears, it's got cinnamon sticks that simmer in it. It's delicious.
2: No, I know that stuff is good too, but it's not the same thing. Yeah,
1: no, no. This is the cranberry gelatin. But anyway, we look at the table – and some kid, I I don't know which one first. I, I think it was our oldest. Sibling. Yeah, but someone said had poured himself a bowl oh, of no, cereal. They, they said, "Where's the corn?" And immediately, every other child said, "Yeah, where's the corn?" We gotta we gotta
0: have corn. It's not
1: Thanksgiving dinner without the corn. And my mom was like, "No one." We we as a family, we said, "What do you want for Thanksgiving dinner?" And no one ever said corn. But once we were in that moment, and there was no corn on the table, a rebellion happened because because our <laughs> mom does ask, uh,
0: like a month ahead. And some of this is because of the corn incident. Yeah. Uh, but she'll she'll ask a month ahead. Okay, we're making the list. Everyone list everything you need to have so that
1: your Thanksgiving isn't ruined, like the year that we didn't put corn <laughs> yeah, yeah. on the table. But but somehow, even though no one had said, "Well, corn is part of our family's Thanksgiving dinner," it had become part of our family's Thanksgiving dinner, and the absence of that mm-hmm. was messing with people's perception of Thanksgiving dinner. Mm-hmm. I think we had some frozen corn in the freezer that my mom yeah, just pulled I, out I, in I the microwave think, yeah, and microwaved. Yeah, stuck on the table. Corrected it uh, within within you know ten minutes. But I think, it's an interesting thing that sometimes you may not even realize what is has become a tradition for your family um, or, or your social group or whatever it may be until something is off or mm-hmm. absent, and you're like, well, wait, what? What haven't we done? And
0: and now the corn is an important feature. It's always the first thing mentioned <laughs> when. And now you know Joseph and I <laughs> uh, live in the same place along with our oldest sibling and our, our parents just still not same house. We yeah. are. But we, we're we not, do, we're like not doing that situation. In, in the vicinity where we have Thanksgiving dinner um, together. And and Joseph lived in Michigan and wasn't part of that for many years. But now, you know, mm-hmm. there's this four household grouping that comes together for Thanksgiving. And it's a point to figure out who is going to make the corn. <laughs> yes. We got we to. Does it down. have
2: to be a special kind of corn or is it just any no, kind of corn? Yeah.
0: There's some preferences for a bag of corn from the freezer. I would. <laughs> I would support a. <laughs> Canned corn myself,
1: but I mean in, in
2: like a canned cream corn or just a just, like a can just of, of corn. corn. At the at the time time, of year it's never corn
1: on the cob. Yeah, the, well, the time of year we're at, you we started, you're out of the
0: corn on the cob season, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, like this was part of the discussion last week when we were assessing, you know, who's going to make what, and like our sister always makes pies. That's her. That's one of her things. Is like no one else has to worry about pies. She will make the pies, and Joseph has a particular stuffing. Uh, mm-hmm. Then he makes this this
1: year i volunteered to do roasted vegetables but I, in some ways i think it does circle back to the story though like these some of these are accidental traditions where someone just <laughs> did it one time and then next time around it's like well let's do that again and then you've got to do this thing you're going to do it every like uh-huh. haven't you done it every year did a, i've done precisely one time <laughs> yeah but it becomes normalized it can become normalized very quickly and then when again in uh, american culture so much of it is just around this run of thanksgiving through christmas and the holiday season there are traditions um that so many families have that because are like culturally i I feel like that's the time of year where a lot of traditions get get pushed to like okay this is the time where we're going to do certain things um in certain ways and it's it does still fascinate me though like what gets normalized and and when you try and choose that this is going to be a tradition, does that take <laughs> or does it not take? Um, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think of an example. I know there's some things that uh, Emily, my wife, and I have like said, Well, let's do this every year, and like we did it once and then never again, like not because it went bad, just because it did, it just didn't seem like we needed to do it again. And then there could be things like corn <laughs> in our family's Thanksgiving dinner where it's like, Well, that has to be there, it's not Thanksgiving,
0: or um, back Damn. when
1: we would pick out Christmas trees mm-hmm. before. Before My parents decided that it was too dangerous. <laughs> My dad watched the videos of Christmas trees oh, yeah. burning, and he said, "Nope, we're not bringing in those anymore."
0: Um, <laughs> there was, you know, a, an entire kind of ritual around it where we would go out to eat at the training table in in Provo while when that was still there, and then that ours went away. was a village inn. <laughs> But then, when the training table went away, it kind of it, 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 it broke in. some things apart. But um, and then yeah. Dad had to be wearing a specific jacket. It was yes. the it was the tree getting jacket. <laughs> and now I have the tree getting jacket, and I, didn't I know wear the it. Jacket still existed. I had no idea. Yeah, it's it's in the trunk of my car at all times as a backup jacket, and then for when the tree is is <laughs> got
2: to go get is, the tree. Is being gotten. It's it's his emergency jacket in case he ever needs to get a Christmas tree. <laughs> just just he's ready right then. Um, and, and, you know, like
0: there's sort of this lore around this jacket and it's like, well, dad has to be wearing the jacket for us to get a
2: tree. It's what that jacket's for. So have you found in, in your own traditions, if you were to, um, you know, like make a graph, would you say that half of your traditions are intentional and half are accidental? Would you say more than half are accidental, less than half are accidental? Because I, I kind of find myself going back and forth on this. I, I, initially, I was thinking, um, I think more of our traditions are probably accidental than they are intentional. And if we ever do try to start an intentional tradition, then sometimes uh, or very often, they just haven't stuck. Um, like I think when we were when we very first had our kids... And we were in grad school in California. We had all these traditions, but we didn't really think this through all the way. But all of our traditions had to do with like going to San Francisco and doing stuff in San Francisco. Which <laughs> Now that you're in Michigan, it's a, it's a little harder and tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's hard to do uh, Christmas at the Bay. Um, I mean, we could go to a different Bay. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, like a, a, a lot of the things that we still do consistently are sort of – They just kind of happened. Um, I think
0: so. I, at some point um, when I was in college, I had been going rock climbing semi regularly. And at some point I realized like, Oh, I have a hobby. (laughs) And I had not set out with the intent to, you know, become a hobbyist rock climber at at a local climbing gym. But at a certain point I realized like I've been doing this like two times a week for pretty much a year and a half. Now Mm -hmm. I have a hobby and it is rock climbing. This is a thing that I do pretty regularly. And, and I was intentionally going rock climbing, but I had not intentionally made it a hobby. And so there's Mm -hmm. a lot of traditions that I think, you know, you, you cognitively decide to do a thing. And then at a certain point you realize that it has reached a status as a tradition um, mm-hmm. It has a certain meaning to you. It has a certain place in your life. Uh, where Much it- like happens
2: in the story, right? Yeah.
0: yeah. I'm going to get him a friend and go we buy have- a frozen turkey.
2: Story number one is the accidental starting of a tradition. Story number two is the him trying to initiate continue- a new tradition. And accidentally continuing. And then- accidentally continues this
0: this other yeah. tradition and, and he recognizes like this is a tradition now you know this yeah. turkey thing i have a relationship to christmas turkey or thanksgiving turkey um and and this is part of what i will be doing every year um and so there's a balance like i intentionally was going rock climbing but i wasn't intentionally making a hobby so you can intentionally right. do something year after year and then at a certain point you realize like oh this is a tradition and I didn't realize that I had created a tradition I was just doing a thing I thought I should be doing
1: and I think for uh like for me and my wife now, some of this is driven by our kids and like what ends up resonating with them mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and the way like I'm trying to think of like what are exact traditions at Christmas and right now I, I'm not really coming up with any I know we have some of things that we do <laughs> but i I thought about like when we're gonna pull out Christmas decorations for our house, I know there are some that our kids are going to be like excited for this one random thing. And I'm like, why is that one more special than this other one? I don't know why, but it is to them. And therefore it is now more special to me <laughs> that, yeah, you know, that, you know, if you laid out eight ornaments that are all, you know, whatever they may be, you know, bought at the same store even, and for about the same price, but there's one that's going to have more value because for whatever reason, you know, when our daughter was four, she loved it. And now every year when we get it out, she, ex- you know, exclaims, oh, I love that that particular decoration or ornament for the tree or whatever it may be. Um, and that's kind of what happens for, for Dave is, like, now he's trying to do this with his kid. And what ends up happening? Well, he, he ends up teaching his kid a lesson. But now it's I, – I think they said, like, the tradition had become that Dave does the Christmas turkey. It's different now that his son's involved, And I'm sure it's going to feel different for him forever. And I think that's mm-hmm. the nature of traditions is – it's not just for you experiencing it. It's like you said, you, like we said, it's about passing it on. It's about choosing to, to it's, have it continued with, a new, those w- with a new generation as well. Um, and that it's is, both
2: the urge. Yeah. It, well, Sorry. it's going to change
1: your relationship with the tradition too, to see a younger generation taking it on.
2: Mm, it's the urge to continue the tradition and it's the urge to pass it on to somebody else. And, and there's danger in passing it on to somebody else because they're, likely going to change it um i mean i would hope that there would be less drinking involved with uh with sam around <laughs> yeah but they we going down <laughs> with the scotch like that's just for you dave right
1: <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> i mean who knows maybe that maybe maybe that becomes some kind of rite of passage for sam <laughs> um i don't know i i i really like it we were we were at church the other day and they asked the kids something i was in the kids class and my daughter said oh yeah we do this thing every day at uh you know this time and she said it like so matter-of-factly and it's something that i have tried so hard to do consistently and sometimes i've done it well and sometimes we haven't uh and i was like wow we, we did it. you know? Like, We actually made that thing stick enough that my daughter, it's just, she, you know, she'll just raise her hand and say, yep, this is what our family does every morning. Uh, you know, we get together, we pray, we do this stuff. And I was like, wow, <laughs> that's, that's kind of amazing. Cause you know, if you were to ask me, do you do that consistently? I would say, no, <laughs> no we don't, we don't. But, um, but somehow it's, it's stuck. The other thing I was thinking of is, uh, Um, oh, we started listening to Harry Potter the other day, uh, in the car. I thought, okay, my kids are old enough. I'm going to try, I'm going to try this again. We've tried, I don't know how many times to listen to Harry Potter and my kids just have refused. Uh, but now we have kind of a long drive to school in the mornings and I drive them in. And so we started listening to it and we're, we're still on the Hogwarts express. So we're not even that far into the story. And the other day I got in the car, one of the kids was sick and she couldn't come with us. And so I put on something else to listen to, and all the other kids said, "No, we have to listen to Harry Potter." And I said, "Yes,
1: <laughs> mission, <laughs> accomplished. <laughs> mission
2: accomplished. Mission uh, accomplished." So I think there are times when you can, you know, you try if you really try hard enough, kids, <laughs> you can make a you can make a something stick. But um, and I think traditions are really really interesting, and I love this story. Uh, I love Dave. I love his earnestness in trying to do something good with his son and I love the way that he handles um, the situation with his wife and when it could have turned into a huge what could have turned into a huge argument uh, just became him saying okay um, you know in my mind in my mind I'm not the I mean I'm not the guy in the in in the in the bar car asking for another drink. When she asked him, who do you think you are? He was like, I'm the conductor. I'm an engineer. I'm working really hard and doing doing stuff to help this family. And she says, You're the guy in the bar car. And he says, Okay, well, what do you want me to do? And uh, I think that's really admirable in him. I like Dave. I like this story. Yeah. Both of them.
1: Yeah. And I, I like his relationship with this kid. And again, just that little shift. You can keep all the bumbling father uh comedy, but just make him earnestly care about his family and and i want to return to this to these to these people and i want to go listen to more um and listeners just so you know uh patron megan had sent us the link to this one and she also sent us links to several of what she said were some of the best episodes and we'll have all those links in the show notes if this sounds interesting to you uh so that you can go just click on those links and listen to some of scott McLean or Stuart, sorry Stuart McLean, uh reading uh these these delightful stories and i think he is a great storyteller his Oh, yeah. uh the, the writing and uh, again some of the setups of jokes but also just his delivery uh i could i could listen to read a lot of stories this is very pleasant oh, yeah. to turn that on and now todd and the
2: live audience does make a difference too
1: yeah uh i was when i talk about with media and my students and we talk about sitcom the sitcom genre a lot of students are disparage like the live studio audience for older sitcoms and like the laugh tracks they hate the laugh tracks And, Mm -hmm. but they have their place and they have a function that that I think adds, um, both for the performers that like him reading, he can time things better because he's, he's feeding off the audience energy and hearing their reactions. Mm -hmm. And so he, like, if you need a moment to chuckle and not lose the next line, he can give you that moment. And I think that's an underrated part of the studio audience, but it does also, um, make you get swept up a little bit more in, in, uh, the comedy uh, of it to just hear, hear the laughter as a joke lands. Just right. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Any other final thoughts on Vinyl Cafe? Nope. All right. Well, thanks again to patron Megan for suggesting this one. And I think that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you listeners for joining us for show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre shows. Go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English who designed our logo and Scott Tofty who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to check out episode number 45 when we talked about Marie Barone in a Thanksgiving episode of everybody loves, Raymond or episode number 103 when we talked about White Christmas. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonist pod at Todd K Mac and at J Dorowski. And our producer, Andrew is at Diz minute uh, promoting his other podcast, the Disney uh, animation minute essentials. Did I get that right, Andrew? Yes. All right. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. We have really good conversations there with our listeners and we would love any feedback. you would like to give to be added there if you would like to support the show financially you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist thank you again for listening and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story so long so long by listening. And we also want to spank, uh, ugh, that wasn't even a word. <laughs> you you want to spank? You wanna, yeah. We don't want to spank any the of our listeners. and spank kind of came out as a spank. <laughs> I don't know. <clears throat> it was like, I mean, okay, this whole section obviously needs to be cut.
2: But, <laughs> no, it obviously you know, needs you know, to go you know, in
1: I, at the end. I was talking about the, uh, the hero's journey with my students and I was writing stuff up on the board and I was writing threshold and I like just paused. I'm like, Threshold? Did they combine the H's into one H, or does it stay as a compound word with two H's? I think. It and does, I paused, one H and then immediately one of my students realized what was happening, and they yelled at one H. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it, was a, it was an
2: Indiana Jones moment. Yes, neil This is the benefit I- of uh, T-H-I. This is the benefit of teaching in a in a foreign language is that your students don't often know more of the language than you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.